I'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping first and then eventually make my way into the thoughts I've prepared for today. Um, first of all, kudos to you for being here. Uh, the weather, um, there's copious amounts of crud going around, uh, and I think about our congregation. There are some folks that are here because they've got the crud. There are some folks that are not, excuse me, not here because they got the crud. Uh, there are some folks who are not here because they've had COVID exposure. There are some folks that are not here because they have COVID, and there are some folks who are here not here because they've had a COVID for the second time. Um, and then there are some folks who are not here because they have stuff going on in their lives and they're trying to limit their exposure. And in that last category, I would just put Barb Densmore. Uh, some of you know, some of you may not know, uh, Barb is scheduled to have hip replacement in early February. And Barb has been a fixture in our children's ministry since we were in this building. And, and so um, for her to take time off away from the kids, it, it pulls at her heartstrings, uh, but she understands it's the right thing to do. But Barb Densmore being Barb Densmore, she's out in the parking lot uh, this morning uh, listening. So shout out to Barb and Jerry. And so then I want to continue this morning uh, with a bit of clarification from last week. Some of you were here, some of you were not. Uh, but at some point following the video last week, I said something to the effect about or something about getting our financial house in order, freeing us up to give. It was pointed out to me that my comments could have been interpreted as suggesting that one should wait to start giving until all aspects of their personal finances are in order. And that was not what I intended to communicate. Virtually everyone I've ever talked to on the subject has said that if they waited until they could afford to give to start giving, they would never start to honor God uh, with the full tithe. And so I uh, just wanted to clarify that. Uh, however, those same people that I ask about this, once they chose to arrange their finances along godly principles, things started to come together for them in ways that they had not before. And just to be clear, it is not a matter of giving more to get more, uh, but it is more a matter of choosing to honor God and his teaching on the subject. In our own personal experience, it was not a situation, trust me, it was not a situation where as soon as we started tithing and then giving beyond the tithe, that we were immediately elevated to greater levels of prosperity, because that wasn't the case. However, there were times, and there continue to be times, where God just chooses to show off, and we realize it's on the right track. For us, honoring the tithe was an early first step, and since that time, it has been and continues to be a developing journey of learning to apply all of his truths to our finances while discovering growing levels of generosity and trusting in his provision. Rarely does someone preach on the topic of tithing without eventually getting to Malachi chapter 3. And in Malachi chapter 3, uh, the prophet is talking about robbing God, and he's explaining that basically when we don't tithe, that's the essence of what we're doing, and that's consistent with the teaching we've seen the last couple of weeks. But just to refresh your memory, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. 
I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And again, if you study Scripture, there are few times where God puts out a flat-out challenge and says, I dare you. (laughs) Test me in this and see what happens. So again, that's his word and not my own. But again, I I appreciate the fact that it was pointed out I could have given the wrong impression, and I know that's something sometimes we we can want to do as well. As soon as this happens, then I'll start responding to God's teaching. Um, But that's rarely, if ever, how it works. All right, so moving on to my thoughts for today. Because the history of caring community is so uniquely intertwined with our own personal history. As Diane and I transition into a new season of life, there are some aspects of our shared experiences over the past 40-plus years that will undoubtedly become increasingly vague for those who remain at Caring Community. In part, that's because I've never been one to do a great job of recording our history in writing. Uh, Much of it has been up here, and if you've ever noticed, what's up here is not quite as clear as it might have been. Um, Diane and I recently had the opportunity as we were cleaning out some old videotapes. We actually found a a VHS player, and we're playing these videotapes to decide if it's worth converting them to something else. And we're watching this stuff, and we're looking, and we're looking at each other. They're like birthday parties for our kids when they're teens, I mean, middle schoolers. It's like, that happened? I mean, I literally have no recollection of this event taking place. If you had told me it happened, I would have flat out said, you are just plain wrong. But it was right there. So anyway, so again, please understand that um, some of our history will understandably uh, fade with time. And with our departure, some of that will be increased. And, And again, hear me well. I want to be crystal clear. That's not a bad thing, okay? It is not healthy to live in the past. However, in order to maximize our future potential, it is important to have a general understanding of how our history helped to shape our current reality. So against the backdrop of this teaching on the blessed life, and we watch the video on the principle of first and the principle of multiplication, I simply want to take some time this morning to share some personal reflections on the history of caring community, excuse me, the history of giving and financial stewardship and God's provision at caring community. Uh, Where we are today and then our hopes for where we might be in the future. So I'm just going to own it, all right? This will probably be more of a history lesson and therapy for myself, then it will be a sermon. But for those of you who remain, I feel it's important for you to have at least some general understanding of where you've come from. And so, going back to in the beginning. I'm old, but we're not talking that beginning. We're talking the beginning of caring community. All right? Um, Many, I, I've been fairly transparent, I think, over the years that when we started the ministry here in Albion, to say that I was clueless it was being gracious, all right? Um, we announced our start date uh, 
before we had a location to meet, which was a steep learning curve for me. Um, on the week, and some of you have heard this story before, and again, I'm 66 now. I have permission. God told me I have permission to repeat myself because that's what we do. Uh, so we're on the week leading up to our first service. So the week prior to May 17th, 1981, and somewhere during that week, I have this revelation. I've, I've been to church before. All right. So I, I knew what you were to expect. I had this revelation. We don't have an offering plate. <laughs> you're supposed to pass the plate because you're having church, right? And so I called the pastoral staff at, at the church in Battle Creek that had sent us over here. And I said, you know, I know it's short notice. Any chance I could borrow an offering plate for Sunday? And with the full love of Jesus and appreciation for what we were doing here, the staff person that I talked to, whom I love deeply, uh, said, don't you have... I think at that time, anybody remember? Was it Chicken Coop where Arby's... You, you, yeah. I, he said, you know, I've been to Albion. and I've seen the Chicken Coop. Can you just go get a chicken bucket? He recommended preferably one that hadn't been used. But anyway, um, so I, I thought, okay, we're starting from scratch. We're meeting in a hotel, and I'm going to use a chicken bucket for the offering. It just wasn't sending the message that I wanted to send. And so Diane and I talked about it, and at that time there was these locations. They were called Christian bookstores. Now they don't. I mean, maybe they exist on your part of the state. They don't exist over here. But there was a Christian bookstore on the far side of Battle Creek. And so, like maybe Thursday of that week, I jumped in my Chevette, all right, <laughs> and and drove to Battle Creek, and I paid 25 bucks for an offering plate. It is one of the four we have now. I don't know if it's this is the exact one, but this one was a little less shiny and it's got a price tag on the bottom, so I think probably it was. All right. So I paid twenty-five bucks out of our pocket. This is not to elevate me, this is to praise God, all right? Twenty-five bucks out of my pocket to buy an offering plate for our first service. And speaking of God showing off. First service, again, you've heard it before, we had a whopping 59 people there. Most of them were friends, family from Battle Creek, uh, and some folks from the Battle Creek Church. And one of our mentors, so you've heard the story before, her husband was instrumental in our ending up here um, and died shortly after making that possible. Um, but she came up to me after church, and she handed me, you guessed it, 25 bucks. And she said, this is for you, this is not for the church. And it was like, that was, Dinah's reading the book, God Winks. It was a God wink, where God just says, I got you. I got you. Now, uh, in our first year, we started in May, so a couple weeks, and then our church year started in June 1st. In that first year of us full having full weekly public services, our total offering for the year was $5,270. Have you looked at your bulletin lately? That's oftentimes a weekly offering. 
But after that first year, filled with the exuberance of seeing $5,000 come in in the first year, in a moment of inspiration, some would say insanity, I chose to quit my full-time job because I was still commuting to Battle Creek to work and invest fully in the church here. Now, keep in mind, some of you, most of you aren't old enough to know, Albion was just entering in to a huge economic recession in the early 1980s when I had this inspiration to quit my job and build the church full-time. God is gracious, and by the end of year two, we doubled. (laughs) We had a whopping $11,478 come in, and we continued to press forward. God provided And that's the theme we have to take. After a few years, we were approached uh, by someone in the community, offered to donate a house to our church. Now, it is at the corner of Michigan Avenue in Burr Oak. It is currently uh, in a state of decline. When it was given to our church, it was ready to be condemned. Our church invested heavily to restore it. And again, they borrowed, or you borrowed, we borrowed $20,000 to restore this crumbling old Victorian home. And the reality hit us, even with borrowing $20,000, if it was going to get done, we'd have to do it ourselves. And the people of Caring Community at that season invested heavily and restored that home. And it served as our parsonage for nearly 20 years, where we raised our children and where our church really began to establish itself in the community. As we were going through this in the mid-80s into the late 80s, we were beginning to get momentum. We were beginning to dream about buying property. We were still renting facilities. We were beginning to dream about buying property. And I even had a piece of property picked out that I thought would be perfect. Have you ever noticed sometimes your thoughts and God's don't line up? All right. But, I mean, we had momentum. We were excited. And then... Our dream uh, crumbled. Uh, we had a situation where there were some doctrinal differences amongst those in leadership. And in one meeting, um, we saw half of our board uh, removed, and we lost half of our income. And that group that left eventually, rather quickly, did two things. They went out and they started a new church, and they bought the property that we were looking at. And um, to say that the dream was shattered temporarily um, is fair. Fortunately, we were blessed with good counsel. The person who now serves as general superintendent of the West Lane Church uh, came alongside of me, spoke into my life, allowed me to speak into the life of our church, and we actually recovered very quickly from that. People stepped into leadership who had not been in leadership before. People began to give at levels they had never given before. And very, very quickly, anything we lost had been replaced. That's the way God does things. And we began to dream again. And when we began to average about 30000 a year, we were convinced that it was time for us to build. We had a capital campaign called Reaching Forward Together. And we saw $90,000 above and beyond regular giving pledged to be given over a three-year period. 
Now, understand, most of you know, sales is not my strength. But motivation and inspiration is God's strength. And we had $90,000 pledged to be given above and beyond regular tithing for a building project when we had no idea where it was going to be built because we didn't have property yet. Now, again... To me, that's God showing off just a bit. So the money's pledged. We ended up buying the 22 and a half acres upon which we now sit. And in the late 1980s into the early 90s, we were at the point of moving forward with building. And again, you've heard the story before. I won't belabor it too much, but you need to understand. We borrowed $350,000 that... No one in their right mind other than our denomination would have thought to loan us because they understood we needed to be in a facility of our own. And it was either look at shutting us down or helping us move forward. And they chose to help us move forward. But as we approached that building project, $350,000 for the first phase of this facility, we had to say, what can we do without And what can we do ourselves? And as a result, we adjusted the building plans to make it into our price range. We made the choice to do all of the interior painting ourselves. Dan Omer worked with a local supplier at that point in time and managed to get all of the insulation donated. Volunteers from our church even blew in the insulation in the attic here. That's another story for another day that I'll let Dan tell. Uh, But (laughs) anyway... um, We managed, we started in August, and in mid-December of that same year, we had our first service in this building. That was a God thing. So that was in the beginning, settling in. For the next 20 years or so, uh, we were on what I could best say was a bit of a roller coaster. We had our ups and we had our downs, but we're realizing when we moved into this building, you've heard it before, many of you have, we went from paying $250 a month rent to paying over $3,000 a month in mortgage and utilities. That was substantial. And we did not necessarily see a corresponding increase in attendance or giving. So we had some tough times. We had some times where, where how are we going to pay the bills? And I don't want to belabor that point because God helped us figure it out every step of the way. Uh, after being in the building for a couple of years, we saw an initial growth spurt because uh, of the novelty of it. To be honest with you, I was not pre- prepared to make the most of that growth spurt, and we didn't necessarily sustain all of that increase. But we did sustain some of it. We chose to do another capital campaign called Growing Forward Together, aimed at reducing our mortgage more quickly. We had some, in the in the late 90s, we had some exciting times spiritually as we all went through an experiencing God study that just really changed our church and changed our hearts. And we went through some staffing challenges. Uh, we hired several different people part-time and one full-time person to serve as youth staff, and it just never quite clicked. And uh, I'm... Still trying to figure all of that out. But during that season, remember back when I told you we borrowed $20,000 to fix up a house? During that season of settling in, ups, downs, attendance spikes, giving spikes, giving declines, uh, we sold that parsonage. It was time for Diane and I to move on. It was time for the church to move on. 
Um, and we sold that for $130,000. $20,000 investment, lots and lots of blood, sweat, and tear equity, years of community exposure, and then we sold it for $130,000, which enabled us to pay off our first mortgage approximately four years earlier, early. And then in 2012, one of those pivotal moments, it was not me, but I heard someone talking about what would it look like for your next five years to be your best five years. And I thought about that. And I thought about what would that look like for caring community. This is in 2012. And I did a series of messages called The Best is Yet to Come. And in my mind, the only way I can put that is those messages, not of me, but those messages were a spark at the right time that landed on Tinder that God had prepared. And people grabbed hold of that. And as we moved into that season, we added staff for the first time. That's when we created the position that Cheryl currently fills. Um, during that season of 2013 through 2019 is when I was first exposed. Uh, Diana, Kathleen, Cheryl, and myself uh, were first exposed to this blessed life teaching. Um, we, I, I would say we, but actually the three of them made the decision uh, when we heard it that I was going to go to Atlanta and be here at first hand. Uh, I was not necessarily on board with the idea, but I knew I was toasted as soon as I heard it come up. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, that really, again, was spark that landed on dry tinder. And it sparked a season of financial uh, growth uh, that continues to influence us today. As we saw that growth and it began to generate momentum, as we began to continue to process the best is yet to come, uh, I was convinced that we would, excuse me, it would probably be a long time before we had any better momentum than right then if we were going to expand our facility, which I felt at the time and our leadership felt at the time our facility limited our potential. And so we committed, as God was providing, to move forward, we did our third capital campaign the first time we hired the professionals to do it. Um, and we called it Caring for the Generations because we saw this as an opportunity to prepare caring community to continue to minister to future generations. And some of you, how many of you were here for Caring for the Generations? All right, some of you were, some of you were not. That's awesome. That's why we're having this conversation. But... When we hired the professionals to do this capital campaign, we had just seen a huge response to the blessed life. Our our average Sunday, and, and this, is a, this is a God thing, and it's not about the money. It's about God's working in our midst. We had actually seen our weekly giving increase and sustain an increase of around 40%. Not for weeks, but for months and eventually for years. When the professional stewardship consultants heard that we had just done that, they kind of suggested that it was a poor choice to try to do a capital campaign because we'd already tapped people out. But 
the God thing is, is that our regular giving continued at the levels it had been. And we saw $270,000 pledged above and beyond to be given over the next three years. Together, the people of Caring Community completed a building project and facility expansion, renovation, replaced all the HVAC equipment, all of that kind of stuff. Roughly just under a million-dollar project. Because of the generosity prior to the project, we borrowed under 650000 to do a million-dollar project. Since that time, <clears throat> we've seen some attendance decline even before the pandemic, which will come next. But the amazing thing has been is the stability of the giving regardless of that. Which brings, oh, I skipped looking ahead. We're going to go looking around. 2020 to the present. Some of you may know that things changed a little bit in early 2020. Um, We saw a significant attendance decline. We saw, temporarily, a significant reduction in giving. In response to that, the leadership of the church, the board administration, significantly reduced our budget, our operating budget, to take those things into consideration. Since that time, as we returned to meeting in person and as we've still trying to figure it out, we have seen a limited recovery in attendance. We're still running maybe 60% of where we were prior to the pandemic. But nearly all of the giving has returned. And friends, that's a testimony to what God wants to do in our midst as we walk in obedience. Our budget, our operating budget, has been nearly restored, completely restored to pre-pandemic levels. In that same time, we have continued to aggressively reduce our mortgage. I didn't check with Amy to get the exact numbers, but it's somewhere under $290,000 that's left from a $650,000 mortgage. I'm not smart enough to do the math, but that's a lot of years early in terms of paying that mortgage off. And if you look at your bulletin, You'll notice the needed year to date, the received year to date. And again, one of those crazy things I threw in there, uh, something about vision realization. We're not giving to meet budget. We're not, we're giving in response and in obedience to God's call to give. But it's not about our budget. It's about realizing the vision that God has given us. And if you note, just a little over halfway through our year, what we've needed year to date is $139,743.78. What we've received year to date is $146,649.54. That's, yes, you bet. That's still trying to figure out what ministry looks like as this pandemic continues on. And, and friends, I just need you to understand, this is not about me, and it's really not about you. It's about all of us together and what God chooses to do. 
and I just need you to understand where you come from. Because I'll come back to this in a moment. All right, last point, and then I'll wrap up. Succession and success. Friends, I just have to say this. I don't have to say this. I need to say this for myself. Regardless of who the pastor of caring community is, the tithe is the Lord's. Understand. Nod your heads with me. Understand that. For those of you who may lament our departure, one of the best gifts you can give to Diana and I is to continue to honor God with your obedience and generosity, specifically in the area of finance. Think for a moment. And I know some of you have wrestled with this. I know the leadership has wrestled with this, but you all need to wrestle with this. Think for a moment. What are your individual dreams and what are your collective dreams for the future of caring community? Maybe you dream about increased impact and influence. Maybe you dream about expanded program. Oh, I wish we could do this. Maybe you dream about a broader outreach or additional staffing or improved facilities. Whatever you dream for the future of caring community. I can tell you from personal experience that for most pastors... Maybe there are some exceptions, but I know I'm not one. For most pastors, it's much easier to nurture a big vision for tomorrow if you are not distracted with concerns about how to pay the bills of today. Maybe I'm weak in faith, but I can tell you when I'm wondering how we're going to pay the mortgage, it's really hard to be excited about starting a new program. And friends, that's all tied directly to God's provision and the obedience of his people. Hopefully, my musings have given you a glimpse of the fact that you are either part of or you are inheriting a great legacy of financial faithfulness and generosity. This is here today because of God's provision but because people responded in obedience, rolled up their sleeves, reached into their pockets, and did what needed to be done to keep moving forward. If you pause to think about it, it really is amazing to realize what God has done over the past 40 years through the people who chose, for whatever season, to call Caring Community Church their church against substantial odds we have not just survived financially but have truly thrived there have been times when i have been with other pastors and as they're lamenting the financial challenges of their church i actually feel a little guilty because that's not where we were at at the time Looking ahead, among other things, Diane and I pray that each of you and those who will join you on mission in the days ahead will not simply honor the legacy that you inherit, but you will instead drastically increase it and expand it.
in the late 1980s, uh, <clears throat> I've been trying really hard to stuff my emotions, but um, in the late 1980s, we were preparing for our Reaching Forward Together capital campaign. Our hopes were to raise enough money to acquire property and construct our first facility. As we were planning the campaign, I had actually gone to Wayne Schmidt, and he had paid for capital campaigns, and he says, I'll tell you what to do so you don't have to pay for it. And I was all good with not paying for it. And and one of the things he talked about is we needed to have a theme, a a verse. And to be honest with you, I was just coming up empty. And one day, Barb Owens, some of you know Barb, Michelle's mom. Uh, Barb was our treasurer for a long time. Uh, Barb was one of those who didn't often speak up, so when she did, uh, I was at least smart enough to listen. But Barb came to me and she said, I I think I found a passage that, that would work for the capital campaign. And in those years since, now I, I just, I just have to say this about Barb, and I'm sorry, I gotta take a side trip. Barb served as our treasurer for a really long time. And I, I really think Barb is probably the only person who has ever worried more about the finances of a caring community than I did. I think she had more sleepless nights over it than I did in the lean times. But Barb came to me and she shared a verse. And friends, it is a verse that we have often turned to over the years. Not long ago when Ron was meeting with the board administration to help us focus uh, during this season of transition, he shared it with us. And I just invite you, Diane and I invite you, to embrace it moving forward. First Chronicles chapter 28, that's verse 20, not verse 30. Apparently my fingers have minds of their own. <clears throat> um, it says... Again, First Chronicles 28, 20 in the Living Bible. Be strong and courageous and get to work. Don't be frightened by the size of the task. For the Lord my God is with you. He will not forsake you. He will see to it that everything is finished correctly. Would you pray with me? Father, that so perfectly captures my heart cry for these people today. I pray that they will continue to be strong and courageous. That they will not be intimidated by the size of the task during a season of transition. I pray that you would remind all of us that you will not forsake us and that ultimately in spite of our best efforts you are the one who will see to it that everything is finished correctly thank you father